Good morning. We are so glad you're here today. It's great to see you today. It's a rainy, overcast day, but we are so thankful to be here. Thank you if you're visiting. We appreciate so much you coming our way. We pray that God will bless you in every endeavor of yours. And if you are looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to be a part of the work here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here. Uh, we're very grateful for all the good work that's going on. We have a lot going on with regard to lads. A lot of the young people are preparing to go to Nashville. We want to encourage them as they make preparation to go. Uh, there is a large host of young people that will be there in the next couple of months, and so we invite you to encourage them, be praying for their efforts. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, the passage that Drew read a moment ago. And I want to begin by asking you a question. If you heard that Jesus were going to be in Nashville, Atlanta, Chicago, or one of the other major cities in our country, would you be willing to make the drive to see Him? Would you be willing to invest your time and your money to see and hear Jesus firsthand. You ever ask the question, what was it that drew people to Jesus in the first century? Because wherever Jesus went, oftentimes there were great multitudes of people flocking around Him. So what was the draw? Why were people so interested in Jesus Christ? Fair question, isn't it? I want to just offer to you today some reasons why I believe people in the first century were drawn to Jesus. And I think if it were true in the first century, it would be true today. That we're drawn to Jesus because, in many respects, what drew those people is a drawing power today. Now I understand that Jesus said prior to the cross, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all people to myself. There is the drawing power of the cross. But I want to begin by first and foremost suggesting to you that people were drawn to Jesus because of His message. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, of course, has been baptized in the river Jordan by John. The text tells us in chapter 4 that he began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you remember Matthew said that he began to go throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In verse 25, the Bible says, great multitudes followed him. So what was it about his message? What was it that drew people to Jesus in the first century? Had to be something about that message that he was preaching. It was an incomparable message, would you not agree? Do you remember it was said of Jesus in John chapter 7 at verse 46? No man ever spoke like this man. 
There was something about his message that resonated in the hearts and lives of people. Could I suggest to you today that the message of Jesus was distinctive. It was a different kind of message. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember the Bible says that the people on that occasion were astonished at His teaching. The reason was because He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. There was something different, distinct about His message and the authority behind which He preached. So that message, it was a powerful message. And not just a powerful message, but it was a provocative message in the sense that it evoked change in the lives of people. We might say a call to action. Jesus was calling on people to make changes in their lives. You see, the message of the gospel, that message was a powerful message. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The Hebrew writer said in the long ago that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That Word has the ability to penetrate the heart. Now, it is a, it's a powerful message, a provocative message, but it is also a personal message. Jesus said on one occasion, if any man wills to do his will. Did you know the gospel is intended to affect change in your life? The gospel is for all. The intent of the gospel is for it to be taken on a personal level. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you that labor, and are heavy laden. The promise being, by Jesus, I will give you rest. From what? From a life burdened by sin and unrighteousness. So that message that he taught in the first century, a message that resonated in the hearts and lives of people, was not just a distinct message, but also a very demanding message. Do you remember in John chapter 6, Jesus, of course, had been teaching, identifying Himself as the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. And the Bible says on that occasion that those who heard Him, they had difficulty accepting that teaching. Their response was, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? Who can understand it? John, by way of commentary, said that on that occasion, many of those people went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then turned to the twelve, that is, the apostles, and he asked them this question, Will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. For we have 
come to believe and to know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus did not concede truth. He was the bread of life. Didn't compromise to attract the multitudes of people. But rather His message stood. I'm the bread of life. A little bit later Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Access to the Father through Jesus. So what about that demanding message? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, you remember what Jesus said? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Number one, it was a message that called on people to deny self. That's not easy, is it? Because in many respects, it's all about us. We want our will, our way, our wishes. Nothing wrong with wanting our will and our way and our wishes in some, in some situations. But what Jesus is saying is we can't live a self-absorbed, selfish life if we want to follow Him. The demand is to deny self. Do you remember what Paul said many years ago? Paul would write, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the goal is to live a Christ-centered, cross-centered life. Jesus went on to say, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, a cross signifies death, doesn't it? The demands of Jesus, that message, transparent, yes. Truthful without question. But that message called upon people, whatever race, whatever gender, whatever background, to deny self, and then secondly, to die to self. That's the hard part, isn't it? To die to self. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6, God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I unto the world. Paul sought to live a Christ-centered life, didn't he? And as Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul recognized to follow Jesus required the denial of self and death to self. Therein lies the prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus. Whenever our will, our wishes, and our ways, whenever those things come before Jesus, there's a problem. And so I'm convicted that many people follow Jesus because, number one, His message. But then secondly, because of His miracles. Now look again at our lesson text. The Bible says that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of, of the kingdom, healing 
all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. And the Bible says that his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him people who were afflicted with various diseases, those who were tormented, those who were demon-possessed, those who were paralytics. And here's what the Bible says, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him. Can you imagine having lived in the first century and you were battling some type of health problem, possibly some type of terminal illness, and you had heard about Jesus and all the great things that He had been doing, would you not have wanted to have an audience with Him? Had you had loved ones, friends, family members, associates, people that you worked with, that you spent time with, that you loved and appreciated, had they been battling some type of grievous disease or illness, would you not have said, you know what, there's a fellow by the name of Jesus that I've been hearing about. And I need to get them in the presence of this great man. In Mark chapter 6, we have an account of Jesus he had been on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. If you look at John's narrative of the gospel, Jesus had fed some 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two small fish. He had walked on water. And the Bible tells us that the multitudes followed him to the eastern, or rather to the western side of the Sea of Galilee to the land of Genazareth, just a few miles outside of Capernaum. And Mark said that they anchored there. When they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Him. And so when they saw Jesus and recognized who He was, they began to run, to race to those surrounding regions. And the Bible says that they carried about on beds those who were sick. Wherever he went, villages, cities, the country, and they took those people who were sick and laid them in the marketplaces. Why'd they do that? Mark said they begged him that they might touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were healed. In John chapter 3, we have an account of Nicodemus, an esteemed man. Jesus identified him as the teacher of Israel. And the Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do the signs or the miracles that you're doing. Now listen to him except God be with him. The miracles that Jesus performed in the first century, those miracles authenticated his claims of deity. Furthermore, they confirmed that divine word that he preached, that he taught in the first century. 
John said, quoting Jesus in chapter 5, verse 36, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. There's a catalog of about 34, 35 miracles that Jesus performed in the first century. Now, he performed many, many signs that were not recorded. Matter of fact, John alludes to the fact that there were many signs that he had performed, but he had not himself personally cataloged in his narrative of the gospel. You remember he said, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, that is, in this divine narrative. But these are written, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That believing you might have life through his name. In Mark chapter 5, there's an account of a lady that had been battling a blood disease for 12 years. And the Bible says that she had suffered many things from many physicians. Rather than getting better, the Bible says that she grew worse. But she knew Jesus was in town. And she thought, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. Let me tell you what, people were attracted to Jesus, drawn to Jesus because of the vast number of miracles that he performed. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's been brought before Pontius Pilate. When Pilate heard that Jesus was from the jurisdiction of Herod, he sent him to Herod. And the Bible says that when Jesus came to Herod, that he was more than glad to see. He had heard many things about Jesus, had desired to see him for a long time. And here's what Luke said. For he hoped to see some miracle done by him. So here is this esteemed Roman leader, well acquainted with the word on the street, that here is a man that has done all these great miracles. Now, sadly, Many of the people that saw firsthand the miracles that Jesus performed time and again did not move them to accept Him as the Messiah. But nonetheless, they were drawn to Him. Let me give you a third reason why I believe people were drawn to Jesus. Number one, because of His message. Number two, because of His miracles. And number three, because of His mission. The mission of Jesus was unlike any other mission conducted by man. His was a divine mission, wasn't it? Didn't Jesus say on one occasion that He had come to seek and to save the lost? Go back and begin sifting through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Place under a microscope all the different personalities 
that came in contact with Jesus. On the one hand, you had the religious elite of that day. Some that were simply all about form and ritual. Others like Nicodemus that had a pure heart. But then you had people that would, probably the best way to describe it, were the beaten down, the battered, the bruised, the burdened, those who were hurting. Now you just imagine, put yourself in the place of some of the people in the day of Jesus. And imagine if you can that you are perceived by those around you as an outcast. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to be around you. Nobody respects you. People look down at you. Would you not have been attracted to someone who demonstrated kindness, compassion, care, genuine love day after day? Here's what I think about Jesus when I look at His mission. Number one, Jesus came to offer hope to the hopeless. Are there people in the world today that from where they sit, they feel as if life's hopeless? I mean, just no opportunities, dismal prospects in the future. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6? And really he's characterizing the human family. When we were yet without strength, that is, when we were hopeless, Christ died for the ungodly. One of the things that Jesus did during His ministry was reinforce the fact that the problem of man is sin. That He was the, re- that he was the remedy for sin. That He was the Redeemer of the world. As the angel said to Joseph, He's going to save His people from sin. Jesus offered help to the helpless and hope to the hopeless. Were there people in the first century that had we the opportunity to sit down and just converse with them for a period of time, we we would have begun to see that here's an individual that from their vantage point feels helpless and hopeless. Look at John chapter 4. Imagine if you can Jesus taking the time to sit down at Jacob's well and talk to a Samaritan woman. And not just any Samaritan woman. This lady had been married five times. She's living with a man. Do you think that she had a problem in her past that for whatever reason she had been unable to get beyond? Her life was a mess. And yet Jesus offered that woman help and hope. And you know how he did it? He did so by saying, give me a drink of water. 
That led to a conversation about living water, which led to the unveiling of the fact that here is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. And let me tell you what, she's sitting face to face with him. And the Bible tells us she went back to her own people and made a profound impression upon them when it came to Christ. Here's what really stands out in my mind. Jesus had the ability to love the unlovable. How many people do you think in the first century felt unloved? Think there are people like that today? That in their heart of hearts, they'll tell you just right up front, you know what, they're not a soul on earth that cares anything about me. They don't like me and they sure don't love me. Well, the Bible says God is love. And Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man laid on his life for his friends. Jesus loves the unlovable. You ever felt unlovable in your life? You ever felt unloved? I guarantee you there are people in this area that if they were to be dead on honest, they would tell you, you know what, there's not a soul in this world that cares anything about me. Don't love me. Have no use for me. I tell you this, Jesus does. The Lord Jesus has always loved you. He'll always love you. Not only did Jesus love the unlovable, but He touched the untouchable. I said a minute ago that He came and reached out to the battered, the bruised, the brokenhearted, the burdened. And there were folks that, quite frankly, no one wanted anything to do with. Matthew is a good example of that. You remember Matthew and his friends and associates as recorded by Matthew in chapter 9? They were tax collectors. The religious leaders identified them as sinners. And they wanted to know, why would your teacher, why would he eat with tax collectors? Why would he associate with these folks? Why would he want anything to do with that class of people? Well, they didn't understand what he was there for, did they? Jesus said, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick. He said, I came not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. In Mark chapter 1 and about verse 40, there's an account of a fellow that was a leper. Lepers were outcast in the first century, weren't they? Identified under the law of Moses as unclean. They lived outside the camp. Now here's a fellow that's plagued with leprosy. An outcast, unclean. And the Bible says that he ran to Jesus, knelt before him, and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Now note what he says. Mark said he put forth his hand and touched him. Would you have touched a leper in the first century? Jesus did. Are there people today that feel as if they're untouchable, beyond reach, 
Sure. And yet what I see in the life of Jesus is somebody who constantly, day in, day out, touched the untouchable. And in many respects, reached the unreachable. Who would have ever imagined? A woman that had been married five times, living with a guy, who would have ever thought this woman is a candidate for discipleship? You see, Jesus sees something in us that maybe we don't see in ourselves. The Lord Jesus has the ability to see intrinsic value or worth, if you please. Do you think the Son of God would have gone to the cross had He not recognized in us there's something of great value? Didn't the Bible say in Genesis chapter 1, we've been made in the image and the likeness of God? Endowed with the ability to make choices? We have an eternal dimension to us that will live forever. And God thought enough of us to send His only begotten Son into the world to die for our sins. Paul said it like this, If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but freely delivered Him up for us all. If Jesus were coming to a town near us, would you want to see Him? Would you want to hear Him? There's some valid reasons why people were drawn to Jesus in the first century. And there are valid reasons why people today are drawn to Jesus. We talk about the drawing power of the cross. If you want to know something about your worth to God, go to Calvary. Look at what Jesus did for you. And that'll tell you everything you need to know about what you mean to God and to Jesus. As Jesus Himself said, Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. So if you're here today, you know the Bible says that great multitudes followed Him. From Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan. There were multitudes following Jesus in the first century. Multitudes are following, following Him today. So my question to you, would you want to be a follower of Jesus? Would you want to identify with Jesus, the Son of God, who has the ability, the power to save you from sin? Do you believe that He's the Son of God? Would you be willing to obey Him? The Bible says that He is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. You have to repent. You have to deny self. You've got to die to self. And then you've got to be baptized into Christ. All your sins will be washed away. The Bible says that God will then put you in the church, the ecclesia, the community of the saved. And if you're faithful till death, the promise is that crown of life. If you're here today and you're a Christian, for whatever reason your life is out of step with the Lord, and you would like to come back to the one that at one time you acknowledged, served, and loved. The beauty is the Lord will take you back.
The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Won't you come as we stand and sing?